Welcome to the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Of course, there aren't really any normal people, but every person has a spirituality, whether plumbers or politicians, firefighters or farmers, entrepreneurs or entertainers. I'm Matthew Bruff, pastor and author, bringing you tips, guidance, and practical advice for how to live out and keep the life in your relationship with God. You can find show notes, books, and more at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. Hey there, this is episode 37 of the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. And this is a special episode that I'm putting out in Advent. It's just one week before Christmas 2017. And I wanted to share this because this is based on a, a message that I gave at Prairie Presbyterian Church where I'm the pastor uh, just about a week ago. And I, I got really interesting response to this particular message. Uh, and I wanted to share it a little more widely. Rather than just kind of recording, sometimes I've just taken the recording because we do a Facebook live feed and then putting that in, I decided to redo it and just uh, put it out audio only just for you, for for podcast listeners. So uh, I hope you find this meaningful and helpful. I think this is a really interesting message and I had a comment as well from uh, someone that said it's maybe an important message at this time of year to hear. It's a message that features around six stories that are about six different women. And I think they are about six different women that everyone should know about, particularly at Christmas time. And so, yeah, I, I hope uh, I hope this is useful for you, helpful for you. Uh, I got to say as a preface before kind of jumping into the first story uh, that I want to share is don't resist the temptation to to look for the lesson in each story. Just take them in and it's all going somewhere, I promise you. Um, and and we'll, we'll get to the get to the six stories, but just take them in and there's not necessarily a lesson here to be learned in in each individual story, but I think like these are stories we need to know if you're someone who follows Jesus, if, if you're someone who believes in uh, the gift of God giving of himself, which is what Christmas celebrates, these are stories that you are meant to know about and understand how they fit in. Um, this is a bit of a, a, a parental guidance, uh, PG rated podcast. Um, it's not like there's bad language or anything like that, but it just might deal with some themes that are really for adults, uh, to be grappling with, um, more so than children. So that's just a bit of a, a flag or a warning. All right, here is story number one. There was a woman who lived in a very harsh time and place a time and place where arranged marriages were normal. That was just how it was. Now, marriage for a woman meant survival, prosperity, and children meant blessing and honor. In contrast, the unmarried woman had no standing, and a married woman who was unable to have children was considered a disgrace. Now, this particular woman, she ended up marrying a man from a prominent family. But this man was wicked. 
we don't really have any details about what his wickedness was. We just know that he was a very bad man. Whether he took that out on his wife or not, we don't really know. Well, the man ended up dying before she ever became pregnant, and she didn't really know whether to be relieved or not. The custom at the time was that if there was an unmarried brother, he was to sleep with his sister-in-law to provide an heir for his deceased brother. Again, a very different time and maybe a harsher time than we like to think of. Well, the wicked man's father told the brother to sleep with the woman, and he did, but when he did, he took precautions so that she would not become pregnant. Because the brother only wanted heirs of his own, not heirs for his older brother. And had they had children, the children would have been considered heirs of his brother, not of him. And so he purposely didn't get the woman pregnant. Well, this surviving brother also died. But there was a third brother, just a boy, not old enough yet to get married. The father of the three brothers told his daughter-in-law to move back in with her own family until the last brother was of age. Years went by, and the older brother became old enough. But the father did not arrange for him to marry the woman. Now, to our ears, this might be a really good thing, but in that time and in that place, the woman, she had no hope, right? She had no means. Both men that she had been with had died, and if her own father died, she would be left with nothing. Now, for all of these years and years, she had to dress as a widow. She, was, she had to be marked. She was marked as not available to any other family. So it's not as though she was free to go and find someone else. Well, on this particular day, she heard about her father-in-law going on a trip to a nearby city. And she went too, and she watched him, perhaps wondering why he was withholding his last son. You know, maybe he thought that she was cursed, and maybe she was cursed because she felt like that. But she also wanted to end her disgrace, and she wanted to get back at her father-in-law. More than anything, though, she simply wanted a child that she could love. She took off her widow's clothes, and she dressed like a prostitute. Perhaps she knew that the man who had been controlling her life had a certain weakness. Well, her father-in-law saw her, but didn't know who she was. And he asked to have her, and promised to pay her later. She wanted collateral, and so she took a signet ring and a staff that he always carried with him. It turned out that she became pregnant by her father-in-law. About three months later, it got reported to him that his daughter-in-law had prostituted herself and had become pregnant. He invoked an old law and demanded that she be brought out and burned at the stake. Again, It was a harsh, harsh time. She was brought out, and she carried her father-in-law's signet ring and staff 
presented them and declared that it was the owner of these items that had gotten her pregnant. Her father-in-law was cold and said only, She is more in the right than I, since I did not give her to my youngest son. It was the closest he came to admitting he was wrong. The woman survived, and she gave birth to twins. That's story number one. Here's story number two. And this story is about a woman who was a prostitute. No one knows what led her to that life. Maybe she felt stuck. Maybe it was all she really had left to to try and provide something for her family because we know she still had a family. But we, we don't really know why she was living this life. We do know that it was at a time when everyone was talking about this band of people who were coming from another land trying to claim the whole territory for themselves. Given to them by God was what they were saying. Now, everyone in this woman's town was in a panic. Rumors were everywhere that these foreigners were getting close. And one night, this woman found out that they were right on their doorstep. And the attack was coming. Two men had snuck into the city and they found themselves at her door. They were in the city to spy and she knew that's why they were there. They also needed a place to sleep and this woman took them in. And the townspeople had seen something fishy going on and the king of the town came to the woman and demanded that she give the two men up out of her house. But the woman hid them and said to the king that they had only stayed for a short time and had already left. Then she went to the two men and told them that she believed that their people would in fact come and take over the whole land, that she believed that their God actually was in fact giving the land to them. And she told the two spies where they could go and hide in the hills to be safe until a full attack could be sprung. And she asked that she and her family could be spared when their army came. The men agreed, and the woman helped them escape to the hills. Well, it turned out that the woman was absolutely right. Within just days or weeks, the town was ransacked and the foreigners took over. No one knows for sure why the woman helped them. Maybe she saw them as rescuers. Maybe she saw a chance for a new life for her and her family. But there is a legend that perhaps this woman married one of the two spies who had come in that night. At the very least, we are fairly certain that the woman did marry someone from this new people, and they did have at least one child. That's the second story. Here's story number three. You may recognize this story in particular if you hadn't already recognized one of the first two. This story is about a woman who had a husband and two sons. They had left their homeland because of a famine and were living in a foreign land. Now, while there, her sons got married to local girls, 
But then the husband and both sons died before any children could be had. When the famine was over, she was determined to go home. And one of her daughter-in-laws said she would never leave her and would always be faithful. And so the two women, women returned together, and they were there with no real means of supporting themselves. The daughter-in-law who had come with her mother-in-law back to the homeland, she was seen as an outsider and an outcast. And the people didn't trust her because she was from another country. But there was one man who saw past all of that. He saw this woman's faithfulness to her mother-in-law and was impressed. He helped protect her and made sure that she was able to work and make more than ends meet for her family of two. And in the end, this man and the young woman were married, and she became pregnant, giving birth to a son. That's story number three. Here's the fourth story. There was a king who had a powerful kingdom and a powerful army, but the army was away fighting in a fierce battle against their sworn enemies. The king, though, was at home in his palace, not with his fighting forces. And one evening, the king was gazing out of his window, and he caught a glimpse of a beautiful woman who was bathing. Now, he was the king and was accustomed to getting whatever he wanted. He knew very well that the woman was married to one of his commanding officers, but he ordered that she be brought to him anyway. The king slept with the woman, but it turned out that she became pregnant by him. The king decided to try and cover it up. Now, everyone knew that her husband had been away, and so they would know that it wasn't her husband that had gotten her pregnant. And so the king decided to call her husband back from the fight and told him that he could have some time at home to be with his young wife. The officer thanked the king and talked to his wife, yes, but as evening fell, the officer slept on the front steps of his house, and everyone knew it. The king called the officer in and asked him why he hadn't gone inside to sleep with his wife. And the officer said, it wouldn't be right to do that when all my soldiers are out there on the front lines and they can't come home to their wives. I stand with them. The king was infuriated. His plan hadn't worked, so he came up with a new plan. He ordered that his commanding officer be sent to the place where the fighting was the fiercest. It was done, and sure enough, almost right away, the officer was killed in battle. The king took the woman that he had seen that night into the palace, and she became his wife, and she gave birth to a son who would become the future king. Now these first four stories are all true. They're all from the Bible. The first is the story of Tamar. Her father-in-law was Judah, one of the twelve sons of Jacob. Judah and his daughter-in-law Tamar are the mother and father of of the tribe of Judah, the area of land which became the southern kingdom, Judea, where we find Jerusalem. 
Isn't this incredible? This is where this comes from. The second story is about Rahab. She was a resident of Jericho and did, in fact, welcome the spies prior to the fall of that city. We we know the, the, the story about Jericho, but usually we might skim over this one a little bit to get to the story of Joshua, where we've got nice children's songs and veggie tale videos about it, right? We've got Joshua coming and them circling the city seven times and uh, the walls come tumbling down with the sounds of the trumpet and all of that kind of thing. But we've got this story as well, where the spies come in to scope out the city where Rahab helps them. Now, we don't actually know whether she married one of the spies, but there is a legend about that. Um, And there is definitely a strong line of thought that says that Rahab did marry a man from the invading force, which the invading force was the chosen people of God being given the chosen land. God's people coming out of the wilderness and into the promised land. There is a strong line of thought that says Rahab married this man and that his name was Salmon. And that their son's name was Boaz, which connects to the third story, which is the story about Ruth, who was from Moab. And Moab were the sworn ancient enemies of Israel. But she came back to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And eventually Ruth, though distrusted as a foreigner, if you read that story carefully, you see that shining through in the text. She ends up marrying this Boaz, and they have a child named Obed. Obed has a child named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David. And that's the fourth story we heard, is the story of David and Bathsheba, and then the future king, their son, King Solomon. David saw Bathsheba bathing and wanted her, took her. And when his first cover-up plan didn't work, he sent Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, out to the front lines of battle, essentially killing him. So he committed adultery and then a kind of murder to get what he wanted. Now, in the time of Jesus, everyone knew these stories like the back of their hands. I I wouldn't have to tell the stories. I would only have to say the names Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, and everyone would have known everything I just told you. They would have known all the backstory. Now, I want to read to you from Matthew's gospel, the first chapter. It begins with a genealogy, and we usually skip over those things. We usually don't read these, and and I and I get why. I you know they're they're kind of boring. It just you know has this uh, pattern. But in Matthew's telling of the story, in this genealogy, the pattern is different than what we might expect. So I'm just going to read parts of it to you. So it starts like this. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah 
by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Aram, and Aram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And then the rest of the genealogy continues. And notice as well in the last one where, where Matthew kind of really hits the, the, the he, he punches it, right? So we've got Tamar. Ooh, what's Tamar doing in a genealogy? Rahab, really, the prostitute Rahab. Ruth, the foreigner. And then even David being the father of Solomon. And how did that happen? Not, it doesn't even name Bathsheba, but says the wife of Uriah. It it puts the the sin right in to the text, right? David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, in case you've forgotten the story, which people, first readers of this have not forgotten that story. There's major controversy surrounding these stories and these women. But something else that's going on here is that it's remarkable already just that women are put in the genealogy. Because normally in genealogies in this time, you'd only have the men's names. You just have to go and look in Luke's gospel. Only the men's names are in Luke's gospel in the genealogy told there. But in Matthew's version of it, even though Luke is very pro-women and and, uh, you can read that and See, that's where you get the whole story about Elizabeth and about Mary is way more focused on in in that gospel. But in the genealogy, it's more traditional. And in Matthew's genealogy, you have these women names. So they're honored, but at the same time, these alarm bells kind of go off if you know the stories. But the women are given honor at the same time. And then you go down through the genealogy and you get down to the very end of it. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 16, it says, and Jacob, a a different Jacob now, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. You see, Mary is now set in this line, in this controversial kind of line, right? She's the fifth story that we need to know, the fifth woman that we need to know about. And the way that Matthew tells this story is he talks about how her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, had planned to dismiss her quietly because he's found out that, oh my goodness, Mary's pregnant. So, And it wasn't me, it wasn't Joseph who got her pregnant, so it must be somebody else. So, But he's righteous and he's a good man, so he decides he doesn't want to disgrace her publicly and he's just going to you know, end it quietly, end the engagement quietly. I mean, probably the whole town knew that Mary was pregnant. Joseph wouldn't have been the first person finding this out. It would have been all kinds of people finding this out. But then the angel shows up and says, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child is conceived in hers from the Holy Spirit. And, I mean, it's amazing that Joseph then goes along with it, um, I mean, he has this powerful vision 
and, and does go along with it. But you'll see that what happens in Mary now with this child that she's going to carry, all of this is going to be turned around. Everything's going to be reversed. What goes from controversy, we now can see everything that God's been doing um, all the way along, where he turns the lives of people around, where he uses the broken and um, broken people and people who have no status. He uses these women uh, who displayed great strength, but at the same time were struggling and suffering. And those are the kinds of people that God uses. God will use this young girl, Mary, to come into the world. If we're a first century reader, we read this genealogy and then we read the story about Joseph being told, you can take Mary as your wife. We might quickly remember that Tamar's story, while terrible, ends with her being vindicated over her father-in-law and her becoming the mother of the tribe of Judah. We remember that Rahab was on Israel's side when she hid the spies, that despite her profession and being of another nation, she assisted God's people and made her way into the royal bloodline even. Some would see the royal line as tainted by foreign blood, Rahab, and then Ruth, the Moabite, But Matthew includes them and doesn't gloss over them. And finally, the royal line is further tarnished by David's adultery with Bathsheba. All of this shows us that God uses real people. God comes to the tainted and the tarnished. God includes the foreigner. God chose to come into this world by means of a young, unmarried girl. Engaged to Joseph, yes, but hear the story. It says, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child. Right? It's not just Joseph finding out by himself. It's everyone. People know Mary is pregnant, and they know it's not Joseph's baby. And then an angel shows up and says, don't worry, Joseph, the child's from the Holy Spirit. You see, God comes into the story. And God weaves the story of salvation into the midst of controversy, adversity, and humanity. In fact, this is the whole point, isn't it? It's not that all is pristine. It is that God became a human being in all our mess and complication. God is born in a manger where Animals have been eating and licking the hay. The Gospel of Luke, as I mentioned before, focused focuses on other aspects of the story. We're here of the angel appearing to Mary before the child is conceived, and the angel announcing to this soon-to-be unwed mother, You are highly favored by God. Greetings, favored one, Gabriel says. This is Mary given grace by God, chosen to bear Jesus into the world, Jesus who will be called Emmanuel, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the light of the world, the bright morning star, the Alpha and the Omega, the conquering Lamb, the Prince of Peace, Son of God, Son of Man, Son of David, the firstborn of all creation, or plainly and simply, love. 
Mary, was chosen to bring him into the world. God chose to be born one of us through one of us by her. By her, salvation sprung to life. And do we ever need saving? I told you I had six stories about six women, and there is one last tragic story. It is about another woman, a woman named Eve. She was human like us. She and her husband took what was not theirs to take, did what was not theirs to do. They were very much like us. She was a mother too, mother of all the living. There's this painting, or maybe it's a a drawing, It's called simply Virgin Mary and Eve. It's by Sister Grace Remington from Sisters of the Mississippi Abbey. And I'll put a a picture of it on, on my website so you can see it. You can just go there and check it out or you can search for it. Um, Virgin Mary and Eve by Sister Mary Grace Remington. When you look at that picture, it's a picture of Eve and Mary looking at one another. You can see that Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And then when you look at that picture, look at the feet. There's a snake that is wrapped around one of Eve's legs. And the snake comes down and Mary has her foot on its head. The um, also of the same order, Sister Columba Guari, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She's written a poem that uh, I think is often accompanying this this picture. So I'm going to read the the poem to you. It says this: O Eve, my mother, my daughter, life-giving Eve, do not be ashamed, do not grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us to a new day. See, I am with child, through whom all will be reconciled. O Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever, life without end. These are the six stories. Thanks for listening to this today. And if you're listening to this before Christmas or around Christmas time, Merry Christmas to you. And I hope this helps you, hearing these stories about these six women, I hope this helps you to remember that Jesus came into this world and he comes to a a darkened world, a struggling world, a suffering world, into our lives that are broken and challenging and difficult but he comes in to redeem it. Again, that that poem where 
it's written with the voice of Mary, see, I am with child through whom all will be reconciled. O Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever, life without end. And this is what Jesus came to do. This is what Christmas is all about. Thanks for listening today, my friends. And may you know the love of Christ this Christmas. I hope you found today's episode helpful. Don't forget to check out the show notes at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. There you can sign up to get the free short guide called Six Tips to Get Consistent in Connecting with God. And when you do that, you'll also get the latest updates and news from the blog, plus book announcements and anything else I may be working on. So head over to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com and sign up. Thanks for listening today and take care.